Well, good morning. My name is Lisa. I'm one of the pastors here, and I have eagerly anticipated November 27th because that means we can finally, finally begin our series on Advent. And not, you know, not to dog, uh, diving into the deep, dark recesses of emotional health, but I think we're all ready to move on. And even though it was the most fun we've ever had in church, thank you, Matt, for that word to two months ago. <laughs> Some may not agree, but it is time to talk about Christmas. Are you excited to talk about Christmas? I am. Well... Last Sunday night, we had a great celebration service. Uh, many of you were able to attend that, and uh, it is going to be an evening I remember for a long time of just sharing stories and celebrating what God has done in and through our church. And if you wanted to come and weren't able to make it, um, I do have a simple gift that was given to everybody, and if, and if you're you know all about free gifts, just come see me, and I'd be happy to give that to you. Well, speaking of gifts, I'm guessing a lot of you had gifts on your mind this weekend. Perhaps some of you did some shopping and thinking about those you love. And uh, I know that there are many wonderful gifts that money can buy. I agree with that. But I would also say that some of the best gifts are those that are out of the product of people's energy and creativity, time, and thoughtfulness. I received one of my favorite gifts last year for Christmas and it was from my mom. This is a, a cover of the book that she gave all of us kids. I have two siblings as well as other people in my family. And that's my mom and my dad. And uh, the title is Life Stories for My Children, Jean F. Kaufman Ashton. And that's my mom. And here's a copy of the book that she had published for us. And it was her COVID project. And uh, whether my dad maybe was really thrilled about it or not kind of became his project too. But uh, it is filled with stories. In fact, gosh, like this table of contents is three pages of stories. And also, um, you know, bad haircuts of Lisa are also in here if you're interested later. Just kidding. But <laughs> thank you. But questions like, you know, that I'd have, Mom, what did you learn from your parents? Or, Mom, did you ever get in trouble in school? Or, Mom, how did you know you wanted to marry Dad? Or, Mom, what was a difficult season in life for you? And how did you make it through? I think all of us have a curiosity about stories. Stories of our parents and stories of our parents' parents. We kind of know what, what has helped shape our life. Well, as we turn our attention to Advent, to a season of anticipating the birth of Christ, we are quickly introduced in the Gospel of Matthew to the family line of Jesus, to his parents, and to his parents, 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 parents. Now, Matthew's main goal in writing this whole book is to lay out a case that Jesus is indeed the Messiah that the Old Testament prophets talked about. And so, all throughout the book, he is trying to make that case. So we're going to be looking at Matthew 1 today. But before we start in verse 18, where our, st where our story is going to pick up, I do want to draw attention to the fact that um, all these, if you're familiar with Matthew 1, you know, you have these 42, so-and-so was a father of so-and-so was a father of so-and-so was a father of so-and-so. Now, we're not going to go through all 42 this morning. We're just going to touch on one. 
you can breathe a sigh of relief with that. But I did want to mention this, this one verse in verse 16 before we move on to 18 because it's important. And it reads this. It says, Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, and Mary was the mother of Jesus who is called the Messiah. So this verse kind of breaks pattern. You'd think it would have said, Joseph, the father of Jesus, but it doesn't. It says, the husband of Mary, and Mary was the mother of Jesus, who is called the Messiah. So why didn't Matthew just outright say, Joseph is the father of Jesus? That's a good question. We're about to find out. And that is why when Matthew wrote this whole book, he began thinking, I have to talk about Joseph. I have to talk about Joseph. And so he goes from the big picture of the line, of, of Jesus' family line, and then he kind of focuses in on Jesus' parents. And so we wonder, who is this father that God chose to be um, to Jesus? What can we learn about it in this brief account that Matthew wrote? And as we go through this story today, I want to direct your attention. Oops, I didn't mean to hit that. You got a sneak peek. <laughs> as we go through this story this morning, I wanted to direct your attention to the fact that Joseph was given a very unexpected assignment. You think? <laughs> and as I've studied this story, God has encouraged me in my own life with some wisdom that I think will be helpful to you. So the question I want you to sit with uh, for the remainder of, of our time together is this. What do we need to remember when we are asked to walk a path that will be difficult, a path that we did not choose. And maybe some of you coming in this morning, you're like, yep, I'm on one of those paths right now. So what do we need to remember? Well, let's see what we can learn. We're going to be picking up in Matthew 1.18. If you have your Bibles, you can turn there or your devices. So let's begin reading. This is how the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph. Now, just a few observations right off the top. Again, Matthew's making his case uh, for the Messiah. Jesus, that name means Yeshua, also means Joshua. It's a very common name uh, at the time for Jewish boys. Uh, Yeshua, translated, could mean Yahweh saves. So if you recall back to the story of Joshua leading the Israelites into the promised land, that uh, description of his name fits. So Jesus was to be given this name, Yahweh saves. Messiah means anointed one. Some translations would say Jesus the Christ, Christ just being a title for Jesus. And then we learn that Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph. You can think of this as an engagement. But not engagement as we know engagement. Engagement that would be legally binding in terms of thinking it as an official marriage. But like, not quite. <laughs> so with the, with the way that the, the Jewish rules were at the time, if you were betrothed or you were engaged, it was considered you are uh, legally together. And also I want to draw attention to the fact that Mary and Joseph were teenagers so they were very young. One commentary suggested that a betrothal would usually last about a year. I don't know at what point in this uh, time in their relationship that we are in this story, but I just thought I would mention that. So here we are. We're off to a great love story. 
but it's ready to take a hard turn. So let's continue reading. So pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. I'm going to read that again. But before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Now, I kind of see three problems with this statement. (laughs) Problem number one, Mary's pregnant. Even though the betrothal is legally binding, they still aren't officially married. And in Jewish culture, Joseph is still waiting for honeymoon night. All right? That's problem number one. Number two, the baby is not Joseph's. Problem number three, through the Holy Spirit? Has anyone ever heard of this happening before? Come on. And I'm sure this went over really well with Joseph. Mary, come on. I wasn't born yesterday. I've heard of miracles. I've heard of the parting of the Red Sea. I've heard of manna from heaven. But pregnant? Come on, you can't be serious. By the Holy Spirit? No, Joseph, I swear an angel visited me and told me everything that I'm telling you. And I just responded, I am the Lord's servant. May it be to me as you have said according to your word. Now, I doubt that's the way it went down, but I kind of, I want us to sit in that moment a little bit, because I think sometimes we get so used to the Christmas story that we just gloss right over this miracle that's in the making, and we don't pause to think about the implications of what's happening in the story. So how is Joseph going to respond to this? Did he find out through the grapevine, or did Mary tell him? I mean, he is in a real mess. The woman he trusted, the woman he had committed to, as it appears, has been unfaithful to him. She has betrayed him. She is not the woman he thought she was. And adultery in the first century Jewish culture had serious consequences. So what's he going to do? Well, let's keep reading. Verse 19. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law, and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. Wow. What a man. (laughs) I read this and I'm like, what a man. Regardless of being served a tough blow, he chooses to protect Mary from public disgrace. Here is a man described as living according to the law. In other words, a man who has lived his life in faithful obedience to God. So what does the law say in this situation? Well, for the Jews, there is zero tolerance for women committing adultery. There are no second chances. It is immediate divorce. And if that would happen, a woman would be considered a widow. That's how strong this is. Now, um, I know in that time period, Women were also stoned sometimes for this act. I don't know in this situation if that would have applied, but I I thought I would mention that. So Joseph had in mind to divorce her quietly. And I'm thinking, had in mind, does that mean he was kind of, you know, almost there in making a decision? Was he leaning towards that choice? Well, in some translations it says, yes, as a matter of fact, his mind was made up and this is what he was going to do. So Joseph knew he was going to divorce her, but what is surprising, or maybe not since we are learning about his character, 
is that even in the act of divorce, he chose to be kind to her. So he would go about and fill out the legal papers in private so he could mim minimize the public exposure. Can you believe this? Joseph chose to protect her still. He chose to preserve her dignity still. I mean, what kind of man is this? And I'm thinking, isn't he hurt? Come on, Joseph. Aren't you mad? Aren't you human? Well, I, I got a little more insight into what he might have been feeling in verse 20. And this phrase says, but after he had considered this. And I thought, hmm, considered. What kind of considered are we talking about? That sounds a little light for such a serious situation. Well, I decided you know, to look it up, and I'm thinking, consider, I mean, are we talking like pepperoni or sausage, consider? Are we talking like late night snack or go to bed, consider? Are we talking, you know, get up and go to the gym or sleep in, consider? Or get out of bed on Thanksgiving weekend and come to church versus online watching, consider? I don't know. P.S. I'm glad you're all listening today and those online. What kind of consider? I would have expected the word agonized or wrestled. Well, I looked up this word, and it come to find out the root words mean to get heated up, breathe violently, actions emerging out of strong impulses, intense emotion. When used of people, it indicates rage, personal venting of anger. And this word's only used two other times in the New Testament for serious situations. So I thought, now this definition, this definition seems more like a human reaction, don't you think? I mean, if I thought my fiancé had been unfaithful, I, I would do a lot of considering. <laughs> I would do a lot of considering. So this word adds intensity. Joseph was indeed hurt, and I'm sure he was thinking, this could potentially mess up my life. It could mar my name. All that he'd hoped for in a future with Mary was now uncertain and it didn't look promising, or so he thought. Well, let's continue reading. Verse 20. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife. Because what is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. So guess what? He gets news that it was not as he had thought or assumed, but equally disruptive. <laughs> He's, what was he like? Oh, phew, Mary wasn't unfaithful. But she is still pregnant. And there is still this invitation to him about something he's being asked to do. So there are a number of points I want to uh, draw your attention to in this verse. Number, number one, um, the angel of the Lord appeared to him. That's kind of nice God sent an angel for such, you know, this kind of a news. Um, I'm sure some of us sometimes wishes we could have an angel deliver some news <laughs> in the midst of our considering. Uh, but an angel of the Lord, and the angels were very active in the birth accounts, if you're familiar with, with other stories that are kind of laying out um, the birth of Jesus. And so that just demonstrates that God was taking the initiative through angels to send his messages so he could continue orchestrating his plans and purposes for the birth of Jesus. 
Second, son of David. Why did the angel address Joseph as Joseph, son of David? That would have made sense if Matthew says it because he's making a statement, you know, a case that Jesus came for the line of David. But why would an angel say that to Joseph? Well, I'm not quite sure, but I'm wondering if in the middle of this crisis for Joseph, God wanted to remind him who he was and where he came from. If you know, David was the most famous king of all time in Israel. He reigned at like the golden era, the greatest king. And the angel is saying, Joseph, you come from that line. Maybe he's saying, Joseph, you're the royal line. Don't forget that. You may not be feeling very son of David right now, but you are. You may be worried about marring the family name with this apparent scandal, but guess what? It's not as it appears. And then the angel says, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. You can go ahead and go through with this marriage because this is a work of God. I don't want you to miss this. Listen, when the angel is saying, when God is in something, when God is in something, you do not need to be afraid. That line, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. So what was the reason that the angel gave Joseph that he didn't have to be afraid? He's saying, Joseph, God did this. God is in this. Mary was not unfaithful to you. You can take her as your wife and you don't have to be afraid because God is in this. Now, we might say, okay, easier said than done. He still has to walk it out. And again, it just reminds us how many times we read in Scripture of the Holy Spirit being involved in things that are very scary for us to do. Anyone relate? Do you feel like God's ever guided you to do something that was scary? Well, I ran across a meme the other day, and I just thought it was hysterical. <laughs> These two are on a roller coaster says, God, I have a plan for your life, and this is what it feels like. The Holy Spirit's having a great time, and we're freaking out. And if you just zoom in a little closer, I mean, look at this kid. <laughs> I just laughed so hard, and I said, yes, that's me in 2022. Nailed it. But that's the way, that's the way we feel sometimes, and I think that's a totally normal and a totally natural response. So God knew that Joseph was going to need some reassurance. He knew that Joseph was going to need some uh, more information on what was happening. But my question is, why does God sometimes wait to give us that reassurance? Have you ever wondered that? Why does he wait until after we spend a fair amount of time agonizing over something, considering a decision before he lets us know more of what's going on? We see it, verse 20, but after he had considered this. So what is it about God that sometimes waits till after? I mean, I would have thought, I mean, why didn't the angel just come to Mary and Joseph at the same time? Would have been a good idea, you know. He just said, Mary and Joseph, you're going to have a baby. Turn to Joseph and say, Joseph, I'm sorry to be a downer, but you're not going to be able to be involved in this process. Or, or why not just come to him, you know, back-to-back -back appointments. Angel can 
visit Mary, and then immediately visit Joseph. Why wait? Why, why put Joseph through this turmoil? I mean, don't you, f- you feel for the guy? I feel for the guy. I mean, did, how, how much heartache and sleepless nights did he have? So why does God often wait until after we spend time struggling over something? I don't know. I don't know why God does that. But I do know this, is that the struggling revealed the impeccable character of Joseph. I mean, we see it loud and clear. When facing what appeared to be betrayal and possible public backlash, Joseph decided to not violate the law or retaliate. He was a shining example of honoring God above all else, including himself. And I bet when Mary got wind of all this, I bet she appreciated him all the more. So we get more information about who this baby will be. In verse 21, Angel continues, She, Mary, will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. So Joseph finds out he's going to have a son, He also finds out that he is the one who's going to give him the name Jesus. Draw your attention. It says, and you are going to give him the name Jesus. And that's really important because in that culture, the naming of a child would imply that that parent is the legal parent. And so Joseph becomes a legal parent to Jesus through the naming of him. So again, you're seeing Matthew put out this case that Joseph is indeed the father of Jesus, even though scientifically it doesn't make sense. But through adoption and through him naming the child, according to Jewish culture, that legally made him the father. Now, the statement of saying that Jesus would save his people from the sins, did Joseph understand what that meant? Did he understand the implications of that? I don't I don't think so. Not, not the full scope of that. I mean, yes, Jews in the first century were waiting for a Savior, and they were waiting, but waiting for a Savior that would help deliver them from Roman oppression, that would uh, restore their power and status. But as God often does, he was aiming for something deeper, and he was aiming for more of a salvation that had to do with the heart. So continuing on in verse 22... There's a, a slight shift in, in tone, and it's almost like Matthew does like a timeout here. I don't want you to miss this. So he, so he steps out of the narrative, and he says, All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel. So uh, Matthew is saying, wait, 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 I don't want you to miss what's happening here. I want you to see this. And so he, in verse 23, he quotes, quotes a prophecy from Isaiah 7.14. That happened years and years and years and years and years before this. Now, I'm not going to unpack that for you today, but I just wanted to draw your attention to the fact that this is what Matthew is doing. He's laying out his case. Okay, so now we uh, tap back into the story in verse 24. So, the dream happens, and guess what? Joseph wakes up, and he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. But he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name 
Jesus. So Joseph woke up and he followed through. And it seems like he followed through without hesitation. He took Mary as his wife. What I find equally amazing is him taking a pregnant wife, I'm sorry, a pregnant woman to be his wife, whose child was not quote-unquote his own, is that he also practiced a great deal of self-restraint. He did not consummate the marriage. By faith, he honored the miraculous pregnancy in Mary, and he didn't touch her until after Jesus was born. The crazy thing is, is that they were legally married at this point. He took her as his wife. He had finished legally all the commitment that was needed to be done, and yet he still waited. We can also assume that Mary and Joseph at the time were poor, and so that means that they probably shared a bed. They shared a room, they shared a bed, and they still remained celibate until after the birth of Jesus. And again, this is just a demonstration of high moral integrity and something that was highly respected of any um, ancient listeners at the time that would read about the story. They just could not, you know, imagine or believe this. So Joseph was highly respected for that. He did exactly what was asked of him, and he took Mary as his wife, and he named his son Jesus. He was exemplary. He was exemplary in character, exemplary in obedience, and how he trusted God. He chose, to, he chose to obey over convenience, comfort, pleasure, or his own reputation. He chose to honor God's name above his own. And we don't know how much public shame or family conflict that his decisions and Mary's decisions cost him. We don't know how he and Mary sorted this out. I mean, how many conversations they had, late night chats, we don't know. We just know at the end of the day, they followed through. So what can we take away from this story? Well, back to our, my original question. What do we need to remember when we are asked to walk a path that will be difficult, a path that we did not choose? Well, the first thing I want us to remember is you do not need to fear because God is in it and will carry it out. If God has asked you to walk a path that's hard, if God has asked you to walk that, I think we're reminded today that we don't need to fear because he's in it and he's going to carry it out. Now, I know fear is a natural response. It's common. It's human. We've all been there. We have fears about what will people think? How will this affect my future? What if I can't cut it? What if it's too hard? What if I lose everything? How will this affect the people in my life that I love? And the list goes on and on. Well, this story reminded me of um, a moment in my life nine years ago when I was debating whether or not I was going to pursue a path in, in being a pastor. And uh, that required in the denomination I was in to return to school and to get a master's as well as about a year's worth of other work that they required, interviews and such. That was not what I wanted to do. Absolutely not. <laughs> it was not a path that I wanted to take and there was a lot of fear that surrounded that for me. One, I just never aspired to go back to grad school, especially in the midst of a full-time job, to be a full-time student and uh, full-time uh, in ministry at the church I was in. Um, 
the context that I was in at, this, at the time, this would not be a popular choice. Not many women were doing it. It wasn't common. Um, I was afraid of <laughs> losing my weekends to computers and reading books. I know it seems like a small sacrifice, but when you think of three years of that, it didn't sound fun. And I was afraid of taking a path that might expose me to doubters and naysayers. I didn't want to waste my money. I mean, you guys get the picture. I had a long list, a very solid case as I thought about this with God. And I remember one time um, I was just kind of debating this. I'd, I'd flown to Florida to spend some time with family, my uncle who was a pastor. And um, I remember we were driving to the Fort Lauderdale airport, and he was just kind of giving me some hard truth that I needed to hear. And I received it, and I remember when he dropped me off at the curb and I went into the airport. I mean, airports are so metaphorical for, like, direction in life, aren't they? You know, what gate? Where am I going to depart? Who's landing? Everyone is going in their so many different directions. And so I walk into this place that symbolizes going places, you know, direction, flying places. And I have my little, I'll never forget, I have my little roller carry-on, and I just start crying in the sea of people. And I said, God, I feel so lost. I don't know what you want me to do. But after wrestling through it, I decided to move forward, and I decided to move forward with that, that three-year kind of commitment of um, study and, and uh, preparation. Why did I decide to go through it? Because I knew the Holy Spirit was in it. Because no matter how many things I laid out that sounded like great reasons, deep down I knew that this was something that the Holy Spirit was in. So listen to those words again. The angel said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because that which is conceived in her is the Holy Spirit. So whatever God is asking of you today, how do you need to hear these words? Do not be afraid. It's not what you think. It's not as it appears. God is saying, it's of me. God is saying, do not be afraid. That which I started, I'm going to complete. I'm going to finish it. God is saying, don't be afraid. I am in this, and I'm going to see it through. Don't be afraid. So if you sense that the blessing of God or the presence of God or the activity of God is in something, that's what you need to know, and you can move forward and not be afraid. Number two. I want you to remember that the purpose is bigger than you. We do not see the big picture, right? We just see what's kind of in front of us. We kind of have this, this tunnel vision. And, and sometimes we just feel like we're stumbling through the, through the dark. Don't you feel like that? And that's what walking by faith is. We only see what's in front of us, but, but God is always seeing the bigger picture. And there is always a much bigger purpose that he is orchestrating that is outside of ourselves that is bigger than ourselves. And I, you know, I don't think Joseph knew all the implications of what being the father to Jesus would mean or that he even understood that Jesus, his son, would save people from their sins. But think about the widespread implications of that. I mean, we are here today because that is true, because Jesus is still saving his people from their sins. So he did he understand, understand the greater purpose of his yes? No. But he accepted the path in front of him anyway. 
Lastly, I want you to remember that you are not alone in walking a hard path. When it comes to following Jesus, most likely we will be given a hard path to walk at times. That's just part of the package deal. And Joseph's was very unique, but plenty of other Jews around him, and if you read the other you know, stories in the birth account, there were other people asked to do hard things at the same time as they followed God. So my path might be unique and your path might be unique. But we got to remember that, you know, all of us in this room, people across the globe who are trying to follow Jesus, we're all asked to do hard things for the sake of Jesus. And we're not alone in that, even if our paths might be unique. So I want you to remember that we are not alone in the struggle and we can trust God and still be obedient so Joseph was certainly asked to walk this uniquely difficult path, but I'm guessing it was also filled with much joy. And sometimes I wonder, you know, as Jesus grew up and they were spending time together, maybe in the carpenter shop, if Jesus ever got curious and said, Dad, can you tell me about that time that you married Mom? What was that like? I mean, did Jesus ever get to know the story, the full story? We don't know that. But we do know that Jesus was given an earthly father who obeyed God, a man who took the words to heart, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife because that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. Because Jesus trusted I'm sorry, because Joseph trusted in the work of the Holy Spirit, he knew he could obey God and not be afraid. Would you pray with me? God, we thank you for the gift of this story. We thank you for people that have gone before us to demonstrate unbelievable faith and trust and devotion to you. We thank you for the miracle of you, Jesus, and how your birth came to be. And even though we don't understand it all, God, we thank you um, that your purpose was ultimately to draw us into relationship with you so that we would know your love and that we would know freedom. But God, you also ask us to do hard things sometimes. And so I, I ask for your comfort, your encouragement, and your strength to fall fresh upon each person here today if they are walking a hard path. Help them to remember to not be afraid because you are in it and you will see it through. Help them to know that the, the purposes are bigger than themselves and help them to know that they're not alone and walking a hard path. Lord, we love you, and we thank you for entering into this season now of remembering your birth. And ask that your presence be very evident um, in the days and weeks to come. In your name I pray, amen. If you want to stand, I'll give you a blessing as you go out today. Well, may the grace of our God give you all that you need 
to walk whatever path he has asked you to walk. And may you do it with courage and with joy. Be blessed.